0: You're listening to a message from Pastor Jack Holt at the River. Turn a few people and say, I'm glad I got you. Mm-hmm. I got you. Mm-hmm. Tonight I want to minister to you on the topic of how to overcome losses in your life. And when I talk about losses, I'm not just talking about financial losses or even physical losses But spiritual losses in your life where there's certain things that you used to have that you don't have anymore that it seems like life Has just stole from you the joy and the peace and the victory that God really intends for you to have And in order to do that we're going to have to set our sights On a heavenly goal tonight not an earthly one a heavenly one one that takes the divine power of God to bring to pass in your life I don't know about you, but my main goal in church is to make disciples of all men and, and see people saved. And, and you can't get a person saved by human effort. It's only by the Holy Spirit. And I love I, my joy is really never, ever really full unless God does something in my life. Just get, making more money or whatever that may be, those things are all wonderful, whatever, but you can get that in the natural. I'm talking about supernatural things. God will do in your life and bless you that will make a significant difference. Amen? Amen? Praise God. So I want you to turn with me over to Second Corinthians, and I'm going to show you something here tonight that I think will really help. I'm going to show you tonight that there is spiritual, or let me say it to this, there is a spirit, say spirit, of unbelief that is in our world. And that spirit can sabotage your faith. It can cause you to doubt. It can cause you to not see really what God has for you in your life. And you could go through life and not accept God's perfect will for your life and settle for less than that. And it would all be because of this spirit of unbelief. I'm going to show you that how through the word we can tear down this spirit of unbelief, but we need to understand that all unbelief has a disembodied entity that is behind it. There's a spirit that is behind the unbelief that many of us faced in our lives, whether it was to keep us from being saved or whether after we were saved it was an unbelief to believe his word. Look at the verse here. It says, but even if our gospel is veiled, say veiled, that means it's hard to see. It is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Now, who's the God of this age? It's Satan, the fallen angel. He doesn't have his own physical body, but he's a spirit being. And it says that he's blinded those in this age who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God should shine on them. Say amen. I wanted to bring this out because I want to show you something here that will make a great significant difference in your life. And that is there is this spiritual blindness that comes from demonic forces that needs to be dealt with from a scriptural way. And I'm going to show you how to do it tonight so that you can believe for the things you need to believe for and you can receive back the things that you have lost since you have followed Christ or the things you lost before you met Christ. Amen? And I want to say it to you from this standpoint. In the Bible, you can find reference after reference of where unbelief stopped the miraculous from happening. In fact, if you study in the the Gospels, you'll discover this, that Jesus himself, it says, could not do any mighty miracles in his hometown because of their unbelief. Now, here's the part I want you to see about this. Jesus in his hometown was familiar with everybody's needs. I mean, if you were in a community, a small community, you'd be familiar with so-and-so that had this problem or that problem, and he he was fully aware of all the needs in in the community, but he wasn't able to help in a miraculous, supernatural, extraordinary way because of the unbelief within the community. Now, if Jesus, who had the spirit without measure, had to deal with the same spirit, how much more should we? In fact, I'll show you how the Lord dealt with it. In fact, one time there was a man, he was blind, and Jesus had to take him outside of the town to get him healed. Because in the town, there was a spirit of unbelief that was preventing that individual from being healed. So he takes him outside the town, and even in spite of that, he has to pray for him twice because the unbelief was so effective. Towards him that uh, Jesus had to pray twice for his eyes to be open, then pray that his vision would be clear, and he could see 2020. Now think about this because he had the spirit without measure, and he was still struggling with this unbelief that came from demonic forces that were preventing people from being healed. But the, the one that, that really arrested my spirit. Is when Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, came to Jesus. And he came to him and he said, Lord, if you lay your hands on my daughter, she will be healed. And so what did Jesus do? He said, Fine, we'll go. And he started going towards Jairus' house. And on the way there, there was a woman that had a blood issue. She was healed just touched Jesus. Power went out. She was expecting in faith and was healed. And Jesus stops, has her give testimony and all that stuff. And then right afterwards, they continue on the journey, and friends of Jairus show up. And they tell Jairus, they say this, don't bother the master. Your daughter has already died. Now, you can imagine how his heart sunk when those words came from his friends, one thing to believe that the master could heal physical illness while the person is alive is another thing to believe that he can be raised from the dead or a daughter be raised from the dead. So there was this despair in Jairus, and I could just see, he, you know, because I know what it feels like to, to hear something like that where your just stomach just sinks. And you're just, oh, man. But you know what Jesus did? It said at that point, he said, Peter, James, and John, who are in the Mount Transfiguration with him, they were the closest of his disciples. He said this to them. He said, you come with me. And then it says this, he would not permit anyone else to come with him. And there was a crowd of thousands of people, and Jesus used his authority and said, you cannot go with me. And sent them all away and they went. Because he knew that the unbelief in the people would stop the miracle that he needed to perform on Jairus' daughter. And so he takes Jairus and when he gets to the house, it's full of people, family and friends and and loved ones in there. And they're weeping and they're mourning and, and, you know, they're trying to, uh, you know, be friends to him. And Jesus comes in and says, why you? We've been in mourning. She's only sleeping. And then they criticize Jesus. They ridicule him, it says in the Greek. Ridicule the master. But why didn't he just go past them into the room, raise her up, and then bring her back out to the people? Why didn't he do that? It says that he drove out all the people into the house. Except for Jairus and his wife. Drove them all out. Why? He could have went in the room and just healed her. No, he couldn't. There was such unbelief in the house, he couldn't do the miracle without driving them out. And so he drove them out, took them in, and you know the story, he raises her from the dead. Say amen. Amen. I'm saying that because I want you to see that it said that he wouldn't permit, and then he drove them out. Because when you deal with this kind of unbelief, you can't negotiate with it. You can't reason with it. You can't struggle with your understanding against it. There's a spirit behind it that needs to be rebuked and driven out by the authority of Christ. Now, there's power in this. Because if you remember what Jesus said to Peter after he had this great revelation that Jesus was the Christ and that the church would be built on this revelation that whatever you bind on earth shall be bound on earth. and It's a wonderful revelation. And then right afterwards, Peter says this. He tries to persuade Jesus not to go to the cross. And Jesus perceives what was behind it. And he says, Satan... I rebuke you, get behind me. Yes. He didn't negotiate with it. He didn't say, Peter, you need to grow up. There was a spirit that was infiltrating Peter to try to convince Jesus not to go to the cross. And most of our losses in our lives are a direct result of this spirit of unbelief that gets on us through someone maybe that even loves us or someone that really cares for us or, and, and they're used in the wrong way and it just throws water on the fire of your dream or your vision in your life and it'll extinguish it But you don't negotiate with it. You don't try to reason with it. You cast it out in the name of Jesus. Come on, church. There's power in this. And that's why I wanted to bring this out, that when I talk about doubt and an entity behind it, a spirit behind it, it is very biblical. There was no doubt until Satan came into this world. In fact, I'll go farther with this. There is no such thing as temptation that comes directly from the flesh. It came from a fallen angel. Death entered through man's sin, but it originated from Satan. Right. It's supernatural. Mm-hmm. That's why when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he was led up, led by the, 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 the Holy Spirit to be tempted of the devil. And it says the devil either took him in the body or out of the body to a mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms and said, I'll give all of them to you today if you bow down and worship me. And how did Jesus fight against it? He spoke the word, the written word. Wow. Say amen. amen. And he and he did another thing. He translated him whether in the body or out, I don't know to the top of the temple and said jump off and your angels will catch you and everybody will worship you and follow you there won't be no problems but see Jesus was not going to do it the wrong way he wasn't going to do it because he was God He was going to do it as a man anointed with the Holy Ghost, following the will of the Father so that we could all follow the will of the Father later after he was resurrected and say, if I'm led by the Spirit like Jesus was led by the Spirit, I can do the works that Jesus has done and even greater works than these, praise God, because I go to the Father. In other words, he set us an example. Amen. Amen. I wanted to bring that out because I feel like sometimes... In the church, we don't understand that the traditions of men have created a spirit of unbelief in most churches today. Write this down. Mark chapter 7, verse 14. Jesus said, the traditions of men, talking about traditions in the organized church, if we could say it that way, have nullified the word of God and made it of no effect. Why? Because religion tries to solve all the problems by the arm of the flesh rather than by divine power because divine power needs faith to operate. You go to most churches and they want their pastor to have a degree in psychology and all these other things. Why? Because they're treating forgiveness through psychology rather than through divine means of forgiveness. And there's nothing wrong with psychology, but it can't cause you to be healed in your heart. It is a spiritual problem. It is not a, 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 a mind problem. It's not something that can be cured by a man's mind it can only be cured by the Holy Spirit. Only by the blood of Jesus can you truly be forgiven. You can do all the work you want to do in the world, but you can't be forgiven unless God forgives you. And you can't be forgiven about what you do. You can only be forgiven by what Jesus has done. But so religion always tries to accomplish what only the cross can accomplish. Only the blood of Jesus can accomplish and the reason why that, that's why in the church there's a lack of power because we've turned to that rather than faith in the redemptive power of Christ. Say amen. Now, I'm going to show you a verse here. In fact, it's a little bit different than the order that I gave you up there. But I want you to turn with you with me, if you would, over to Isaiah 53, verse 4. And let's look at this verse. This is talking about Jesus on the cross. I want you to see this. Surely he has bore our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God. In afflicted. talking about on the cross, how Jesus took our sins on himself. And it says here that he bore our griefs. Now, the word grief is also translated in Hebrew, sickness, disease. Now, watch. But it also includes, and this is part of it, mental pain, anguish. Anytime someone is mentally in distress, it's in that word. And it said that Jesus bore it. So why are we so messed up then? because it takes faith to be a recipient and receive what he bore for us so that we can be free from it. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Praise God. I wanted to bring that out because I want you to understand something that if you're here tonight and, and you're hurting your heart from, from loss in your life, maybe a, a loved one or maybe a, a friend has betrayed you or maybe a husband that was unfaithful or a wife that did this or whatever, that if you're still hurting in your heart, you're not gonna be able to set your sights on the things that God has for you. You're not gonna be able to believe God because that pain is going to create within you a idol that you place above God And that idol will attract demonic spirits. And if you think you're in pain now, you'll be in worse pain. Because as you begin to glorify that that pain or that loss in your life, you're going to miss out on what God has for you. And it's going to cripple your faith. And you're not going to be able to do what God wants you to do in your life. And it doesn't need to be that way at all. You know, the word grief in the Hebrew, its original source means idol. Here's what people do in the church. Something happens, we experience loss. We all do. When I got saved, God changed my heart so much. I was an angry, hostile person. I was in the martial arts. I loved to hurt things. I loved to hit people. I was very angry side. When I got saved, he gave me a new heart because he forgave me of my sins. And I was sweet and it doesn't really work to be sweet if you're fighting with somebody. But God changed my heart. That's the part I want you to see, he changed my heart. Well, after I'd been in ministry for a while, I thought when I first came to church, I thought everybody in the church was sweet and, and nobody would do anything wrong to me and all that. And I, I said, oh, it's so neat to be in heaven kind of with all these people because they all love God and none of them would do anything wrong in my life and, and they'll never betray me and whatever. And I, and I discovered <laughs> that they're just people. Some are more mature than others. Some aren't. Some are tares. Some are goats. But generally speaking, even sheep make mistakes. Amen? Turn your neighbor and say, (laughs) But the point I want you to see is that, so I had to go through this process where I had to have God on a regular basis heal my heart. It wasn't something I could do by sheer mental discipline. I needed the Holy Spirit to touch my heart and, 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 and I had to let go of things and, and let God have it and, and just forgive people unconditionally, just like <laughs> microphones. <laughs> and it was very frustrating. But the Lord was faithful and he healed me. And I'm not, you know... When I say that, it doesn't mean that I'll never need healing again. I always will need healing, because people are people, and whenever you have vision, you have opposition and, and it just works that way. But I wanted to preach this tonight because there's a supernatural force that wants to make an idol out of all the disappointments and fears and setbacks in your life, so that you can't believe for all the things that God wants you to have. And we're going to break through that tonight. Can you say amen? Amen. We're going to break through it in a great way because what happens is when you've been really, really, really hurt in an area, you agree with the pain and you say things like this, I'll never trust that person again or I'll never leave myself open again. I'll never do that. And here's what happens when that happens. Your heart closes up. You put up a wall around your life, and, and that wall is invisible, but its you know you're trying to pr- protect yourself, preserve yourself. But as you do that, you actually open yourself up to all your fears, because Satan works through that pain. And you find yourself afraid of this and afraid of that and afraid of this and afraid of that. It's because you have activated the power of Satan in your life by making an idol out of what happened to you. That's why when Jesus teaches on faith, he always mentions to forgive one another. Forgiveness is critical to walk in faith. And I wanted to say that tonight because I know as the holidays come, there's, you're going to be in mixed family situations, an ex may be there, an old girlfriend, whatever, Things will surface just like an iceberg. And if you're not careful, the hurt will come back. And you'll start putting up those walls again. And as those walls go up, what's so terrible is that you lose your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And to what God wants to do in your life. And you become brash. You become callous. You become... Unusable for the kingdom because there's no sensitivity left. You've made an idol out of your pain, and then and then you contaminate everybody else. Talking about it and visualizing about it, and usually end up creating a worse problem than ever there was in the first place. We have to do what the Lord says. Look at this verse, Psalms 147. Psalms 147, verse 2. The Lord built Jerusalem, and he gathered together the the outcast of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Wow. Heals the brokenhearted and binds up our wounds. We've all been hurt, and when God heals you, he binds it up so that if you bump something, you won't hurt again. But if you walk through life and you're always in pain from what people did to you in your life. The vision that God gave you can't be done. You're in the past. You're locked in the past. The past won't work and, and you lose your joy and your fire, and and you may seek for this solution or that solution or, or man's way of solving it. maybe if I take medication or maybe if I go to a psychiatrist or maybe if I do this and that or, or maybe if I just get involved with good works, I'll heal it and what you need is Jesus. You need the blood of Jesus to forgive you as you forgive others. And you forgive them, praise God. And God will cleanse your heart and heal your heart by His Spirit, and the joy will come back, and the peace will come back into your life. And then you can be victorious again. The Bible refers to this as the Jezebel spirit. If you don't know who Jezebel is in the Bible, she was the wickedest woman ever used by demons that exists in Scripture. She, was, she had a controlling spirit, a spirit in her day, the priest would dress up half man, half woman. It's the same spirit that is in America today. It's what the prophet Malachi spoke about. He said, in the last days the prophet Elisha will come. And he's going to restore the sons to the fathers and the fathers to the sons. He was talking about not Elijah would come back, but the anointing that restores the family would come back. In America today and around the world, the family's being destroyed by this, by this controlling spirit of Jezebel, you talk to anyone. I don't care who they are, and they can tell you of how they've been hurt, and how they've been abused, and how they've been raped, and how they've been involved with incest and all this stuff. And you got all these damaged goods. And so, what's the result of it? You got women that are controlled by this spirit that want to be controlling over men see it in the movies we got more women heroes than we ever did in the past it's because this identity thing is part of the controlling spirit and it's a, it is a, it's a spirit of independence don't tell me what I have to do I'll do what I want to do it's in our families it's in our youth I want to do just what I want to do and it's not just exclusive for women it's in men too you could be in a pastor he could be controlling in the church see there's a difference between the way God leads and the way God the Father leads this Jezebel spirit is different It, it it is controlling and it's like a it's like a king that is a tyrant but our Heavenly Father leads like a father. He wants what's best for his children. There's a difference. It isn't control, it's I want what's best for my kids. And that's what's in our culture. And we have to break it. We can't break it if we walk around and we're bruised vessels because we've made a vow with ourselves and agreed with demonic spirits. And and we're trying to control through manipulation, through insecurity, through threats, through if you do this, I'll do that. And and you try to control everyone. It's demonic. God wants us to break free from it. And it isn't a freedom that you just do once. You may get free in one service, and by Monday, you're hurt all over again. Someone called you up and reminded you of it. A thought hits your mind, and, and your faith gets so small because there's not that sensitivity anymore in your heart. You've agreed with the pain. You've made an idol of it. But the good news is the Scripture says that God's gonna restore the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers, which means that controlling spirit will be broke in the name of Jesus and the power of the church will rise up and God will restore the families in Kent and in Auburn and in Renton and in, come on and in Seattle, He'll just dis- restore. Hebrews 12, one says that we need to lay aside every weight that besets us. Every weight that traps us into sin, we need to set it aside. Every time we feel sorry for ourselves, set it aside. Every time somebody reminds you of the injustice done to you, set it aside. Every time, set it aside or that sin will be activated in the power of God. There's a verse in Hebrews that says this. It says that those that are controlled by death, it says they are subject to fear in their life. In fact, I'll just read it to you. I don't, I don't think I actually gave it to the people that run the multimedia, but I'll just read it to you. It's in uh, Hebrews chapter uh you can see it there he says this in verse 14 inasmuch then as the children have partaken of the flesh and blood he himself, talking about Jesus, likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death that is the devil, now watch this next part and release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. What does it mean to be subject to bondage because of fear? What What does it mean? Well, Jesus described it with the 70 disciples that went out in his name, casting out sickness. They came back and said, Lord even the demons were subject to us when we said in the name of Jesus be healed demon spirits that had brought the illness in their life began to move inside of them and they left they were subject to what we said any fear in your life makes you subject to the power of Satan to the power of evil there's no way that Satan has any power outside of fear. He operates through fear. And he does have f- power. God has all authority. And he has greater power than Satan. But Satan does have power. But what you've got to understand is that fear gives him the legal right to activate his power in your life. If you're living your life out because you're insecure, there's an idol in your life, and it's from something that happened to you in your life that is controlling you. Say it with me. There's no fear here. I'm free from fear. Are you listening to where I'm going with this? Now, I'm going to show you something That should alarm you because we're not playing tonight. This is important stuff. This stuff is so important because this is why you can't get people free because they don't take it seriously. Listen to this next verse. It's the one uh, that that I gave you. It's in, uh, let's see. uh, Where's that at? I believe it's in Luke's gospel. Mm, 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 mm. Turn to your neighbors and say, you look so good tonight. I'm so glad you came. And you're such a blessing. It's Matthew 12, please. Listen to what Jesus says about demonic spirits. When the unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through a dry places seeking rest and finds none. Now watch what it says. Then he says, I will return to my house for which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and he takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it be with with this wicked generation. Now go back to verse 44. I want you to notice how it says it. I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds, he finds, he finds it empty. Listen to me when I say this. It's so important. Demonic spirits aren't looking at your haircut. They're not looking at whether you're tall, skinny, or white, or whatever. They they don't look at that. They look at you spiritually spiritually. And they can tell when your spirit's not right with God. They can tell when you have not forgiven someone. They can see it in you. They can spot it in you wherever you're at. And as soon as they see that the house, spiritual house, is in trouble, they can go in and they can torment you. Amen. I'll give you an example. Missionary, he's over in India and he's going down a a trail with a a guide. He doesn't know the language. And he's going along and they look out in this field probably 2,000 feet away. There's a whole bunch of men standing around and there's all these snakes. So the The preacher says to the guide, what is that? What are they doing out in that field there? He says, they're witch doctors. And they're casting spells. That's what the serpents are for. And the preacher says, well, just stop. I got to look at this. I got to check this out. And he walks about 20 feet towards them. And while he's walking, he's praying in the spirit. And all of a sudden, these people that are a long ways away, one of them looks up. And he starts walking towards them. And he goes all the way up to the guide, and and he says to him in their language, whatever, you know, in the language that he didn't know, he says, you guys need to leave because we can't do the spell as long as you're here. The demons could see that there was a man of God that was there and they couldn't do what they could normally do because there was, a, there was a, someone praying in the spirit. And, and until they left, they couldn't do it. And, of course, the preacher says, I'm not leaving. No, I don't want them casting spells, praise God. But, but, but the demons could see it. Hallelujah. So this holiday, when you get into that rough situation, you just need to come in there praying under your breath it doesn't even have to be loud and all the demon spirits that are tormenting your loved ones will have to stand to attention and wait for you to leave but what's good is that it opens a door for you to minister to them amen so remember that the next time you get mad at me You go, I can't believe he's done that again. He said that again. I've told him before, I don't want him to preach on sex from the pulpit. He can't do that. Remember what happens when you don't forgive a brother or a sister or a husband or an aunt or a cousin. Come on. Your spirit then is tormented by evil spirits and Satan has access into your life in a way that he never would in the past. Amen! I really believe this is important because we are spiritual beings with a spiritual purpose. We can't set people free when we're not free ourselves. We got to constantly get in the presence of God and say, Lord, help me with my life here. Lord, I had a rough day, Lord, and I just want to make sure that I'm clean before you. I want to make sure my sins are all removed, Lord. I want to make sure that spiritually I can pursue you and and follow you in the way that you want me to follow you in your life. And when you do that, there's a great blessing that happens in your life. Remember, no demon can go into your life without an access point. And I want you to write this down because it's so important. Unresolved conflicts lead to demonic oppression. Unresolved conflicts lead to demonic oppression. No wonder Jesus says, if someone's upset with you, Go to him before you're handed over to the judge. He said, be quick about it. Don't don't wait on it. Do it. Don't let it linger because as you do, you open yourself up to trouble that God doesn't want you to have in your life. God wants you to be healed and whole and blessed. You know, the part that I don't like about when I get hurt and I can't let it go. The bad part is I become contagious. You become highly contagious and you spread your defilement on everybody else. And when you're in my position, you can defile thousands just like that. One message taught in unforgiveness can defile thousands of people. That's why the Bible says there ought not be many teachers. Because we come under greater judgment. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm so glad I'm not preaching. (laughs) Amen. Now, I want you to hear this. I'm going to wind this down with this. Satan cannot destroy you by a lack of money. He can destroy you by sickness. He can't even destroy you with mental illness. He can't destroy you that way. The only way that he can destroy you is by corrupting your faith. In other words, the battle is within first, not without. The outward things have its place and and they help with temptation. But the reality is he wants your heart. And if he can get you to doubt in your faith... He can steal not only what you're believing for, he can steal the very essence of the salvation that God gave you within you. He's after your heart. He wants to corrupt your faith in some way that'll prevent you from receiving back everything that was lost. It's his mission, it's his calling, it's his purpose that he's called all of us to do, or he's called to do in our lives. And to show you the power in this, that victory in our lives isn't determined by the outside. It's on the inside. Anything that you obtain in faith, in your heart, if you keep the faith, it can't be taken from you. Death can't even take it from you. It can't. If you don't believe that, you remember Elijah, he prayed for something spiritual that he would receive a double portion. And that double portion wasn't for him. It was to help other people. But he received that. But you remember, he dies before he has a chance to give out all of it. And they put him in a tomb. And then we hear the miracle that, you know, their enemies came. So they took a, a, an Israelite that was there, that, that they were doing a funeral. And they threw him in the tomb of Elijah. He touches his bone and he's resurrected. Because you can't lose what you keep in faith. Death can't even take it. Amen. Amen. James says this about faith. And remember, he's a half-brother of Jesus. He said this, that if you doubt when you pray, he said, don't let that person suppose they'll receive anything from the Lord. You might receive something from your boss. You may receive someone from a family member. You might receive something from this world. But you can never receive anything from God when you doubt in your faith. No supernatural. None. You got to pray. You got to drive out the doubt. And you got to... Believe and, and trust that with all your heart, and then God will give you supernatural power and blessings in your life. Stand up with me, everybody, right now. I get my, my Tommy on the piano, if you would. Hallelujah. You know, while I waiting for the piano to start. I, I want you to understand something that I've got family problems not in the immediate family, but I have family problems with relatives that are just like yours. And if you're not careful, you get swept into that. And then you lose the, the joy and the, and the victory. And one of the things I want to do this season is I want to rejoice with the joy of the Lord I want the peace of God to be in my life and overflow I don't, I don't want to be burdened down with, with demonic activity and can't, can't sleep at night and frustrated and I don't want supernatural anxiety I want supernatural peace and if we ever stop looking at our hearts and stop considering how important they really are. So let's lift our hands towards heaven right now. And we're going we're to ask the Holy Spirit just to refresh us tonight. Sing me a song, Tommy. Thank you, Father. Thanks for listening today. For more messages like this one, check out riveroflifefellowship.org, our mobile app, and our podcast. Also, find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at River of Life Kent to learn more and keep up with everything that's happening at River of Life Fellowship.